0: All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, to everyone joining us for today's community question roundup with Ramesh Gulati and myself, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. As mentioned, in this episode, we're going to be reviewing questions submitted by our members in our maintenance community Slack group. We're going to hear some insight from one of our maintenance experts and residents and the reliability Sherpa himself, Ramesh Gulati. We've done a few of these before, so if you haven't checked out the past Three or four that we've done in the past, go check them out. They've got some great nuggets of advice from our very own Ramesh Gulati. Just as a quick reminder, before we jump in, the questions submitted by our Slack group, the Maintenance Community Slack group is an awesome place for people to maintenance reliability to ask questions and learn from over 6,000 professionals around the entire world in different industries, different walks of life, different parts of the world an amazing group of diverse people with different backgrounds and experiences that can help you take your career to the next level. So if you haven't already joined the Maintenance Community Slack Group, you can at upkeep.org slash slack. So definitely check that out and join the community if you haven't already. We're super excited to do a deep dive into real questions that were asked by our community members within our Slack Group. One thing that I absolutely love the most about our Maintenance Community Slack Group is the topics span from High-level questions on-the-ground problem solving. Are you ready to jump in? Yes,
1: I'm ready. First, let me congratulate you guys, TMC, for year, one year. You are <laughs> celebrating. That's great. That's right, Ramesh. We just celebrated
0: our one-year anniversary of the maintenance community. What an amazing ride it's been over the last year. It wouldn't have been possible without yourself and the other 6,000 people who have joined our community and made some crazy idea that we had a year ago into what it is today, which is a thriving community that we've got. All right. So we got question number one submitted by Rahul. He said, how can vibration analysis be useful in analyzing defects when machine itself is having high vibration? What's the best tool or practice to analyze equipment? And I think this is really stemming off of you know, utilizing different remote condition, remote condition monitoring solutions. And I know that personally, the most popular one right now is vibration. It's kind of a the talk of the ta- town right now. What do you think?
1: Well, if you got vibration going on on your machine, you definitely, there's a problem, okay? So now we have to really find out where vibration is coming from. We have to find the source. Okay, now we can use several tools to find out, again, where it's coming from, like some of the, could be, you may have a misalignment, you could be unbalanced, you could be a bench shack, you could be impeller, something broken or something. So you have to find out where, and then you can use some of the tools. You know, some, there was another question somewhere. Way, way back when I started, my tool was screwdriver. You know, that was a basic tool, find, put a hey, stethoscope-like kind of thing. And those are the basic tool. Now you could have a vibration meter and you can put some sensor on a machine, find out, you can look into some more detail a analysis, hey, where vibrations are coming from, what's the amplitude, what's the frequency, all those kind of things, which can tell you what's the source of the vibration. Vibration technology is a little bit more, a require skills, where infrared camera, ultrasonic, you can pick up quickly, where vibration, you need some expertise, some experience, takes some time to learn those techniques, okay? Those tools, how to use those tools. The way, uh, the way I think I'm gonna answer is, there's a lot of tools available. You have to practice, Make start using one tool or two tools, like vibration meter. I've seen one shop, this was a printing shop in your part of the world, San Francisco, in a, this was a printing shop, uh, this uh, a printing um, in a newspaper printing shop. They mastered using the vibration meter, just a pen, using because they had a lot of bearings. That's a great application for finding the bearings, you know. then. Start looking into if there's a, some misalignment. Is there a lot of time your misalignment will cause the, the vibration? So, depending on your situation, you have to find the right tool to use it to find the way the vibration source is
0: right. So, what I hear from that, Ramesh, is essentially like vibration is a very complex tool, it could give you very, very surface level of what's that there's a problem. But to really diagnose and use vibration to help you right. defects, you have to really study this as a, a an entire like course as
1: an entire field of study. It's so yeah, see. that's right. Again, I think think of your car. When you have a when you're driving and you got a, something your steering wheel is vibrating. Hey, boy, you mm-hmm. got a problem. Now it could be your know, your tire not to be you know not be balanced. That one of the prime reason could be yeah. So you have to take the shop find out is that a, a better, So you have to take a maybe this maybe this maybe this, and eventually you will come to the problem and re- eliminate that problem. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And, and you know this is a great like segue into the next question yeah. that we had here too, which is what are some of the latest and greatest technology tools that you use in reliability? and remote condition monitoring. And obviously, vibration is one of these tools.
1: Yes, again, I think it's a, like hey, as I said, don't go for shiny tools all the time. There are a lot of shining tools available. And some of the tools are like Flukes, uh, vi- this vibrational tester, 81, 810 or 810, something like that. That's very useful. Then there's a, a vibration pen, you can use that. You know, and then a lot of your, your your alignment tools, laser alignment tools, making sure your prime mover and both are connected properly and they're aligned, but they can cause all the problems. So depending upon your situation, you're going to use what tool you need, but don't go always the latest, yeah, laser. I mean, my old days when I used to do that, I used to, we used to use a, you know, it's an old way doing a scale or, you know, looking into, hey, yeah, eyeballing, you know, back in '60, '70, we didn't have those uh, lasers. Now we got a laser tools which can help really to do a much better alignment, you know. So I think it depends for your needs. I will always, like I said, don't go for shiny tools. See what makes sense for you and use that tool.
0: Yeah. So again, don't go for shiny
1: objects choose the
0: tools that are best suited for your business and a good kind of like frame of reference for how we evaluate internally and how we recommend our customers evaluate Mm -hmm. different tools. It's kind of on three different axes. One is what's the cost. And that's obviously, you know, that could be the dollar cost to purchase these tools, but it's also oftentimes the time that it takes to actually implement. The second axis to really look at, you know, implementing technology is, what's the value what's the impact that it'll bring to the business and then the third one is what's co- what's your confidence like yeah. what's the risk associated to this or not doing this and you take these three axes you rate each one and that'll help drive whether you should look into infrared or you know uv or whether you should look into vibration temperature or other remote condition monitoring tools so you kind of look at you want the Cheapest cost, the highest impact with the most level of the highest level of confidence. All right. Next question we've got is from Tunde. He asks, what are the key features you typically expect to see from a risk-based inspection software tool? And when is it the
1: right time to actually purchase one of these solutions? I would ask this question, why we do maintenance or why we want to do it. I mean, maintenance is a risk management strategy. Okay. You try to minimize risk, and that's what you do: the maintenance and uh, risk-based inspections are. Again, I think I answered that long time ago. Same similar kind of question. In some application, where we don't know much about the asset, like vessels, pipes, what's inside, regular inspection won't tell us much. You know, if we cannot get in there. So we, in a chemical industry, risk-based maintenance inspections are quite frequently done. You know, what they do is they evaluate the risk. How much is the risk on this? If we don't do it, what could happen? What's the consequences, how much? And based on that, they make a decision whether we need to do something or not. So risk-based inspections are, there, what you do is at some, wherever you, some symptoms, then you open up the machine vessel or tank or some of those kind of things and go in, inside and then find how much damage is there and what you do. So those are called risk-based inspections, mostly mm-hmm. primarily done on a vessels, tanks, and those kind of things, where you, mostly in a steel mill also, your blast furnace you do it after 10 years or something. So those are kind of a equipment you do risk-based inspection. Okay. and basic tools or software. I don't know what they can help you. Those are kind of a, you open up whatever your asset is and then find what's how much damage is there. In a regular capital projects, you know what you're, you're going to do. You want to replace this component, that component. You can see those and you can replace that. In a chemical, It's very difficult, unless you open up, you don't know how much damage is there. So it's a scope is not that much clear. That's the reason they call it risk-based inspection. So to me, it depends for your need.
0: Yeah. So I I think from what I hear is like, you know, purchasing this risk-based inspection software it kind of depends on what type of industry you're in. It depends yeah, on what yeah. your needs are. It sounds like for vessels, for the chemical industry, you probably need this type of approach yeah. for handling your maintenance uh, process. But for others, you know, where you might have a more discreet way uh, of managing your, your maintenance processes. So, all right, next question we've got comes from one of our community members. His name is Jake. Jake asks, how do you communicate that change is necessary in a maintenance organization without without discounting the work that's done already? And this often happens. We hire someone new. We bring in a new maintenance manager. We hire someone in a new leadership role. And they say, we've got to change the way that we had been doing things. And then the people that had been part of the organization maybe for 10 years, 20 years, the ones, that, the ones that actually developed it, you can
1: feel a sense of,
0: you know. Um, Here we go again. Yeah. yeah.
1: Here we go again. You know, well, you know, improvements to me, improvements are change. You try to implement something to get better. And change requires communication, communication, communication. You have to come up, talk to your, who are the stakeholders, who will get impacted with that change. You have to talk to them, especially those people who get impacted by that change, Hey, why you are doing this change. So as I said, change is a part of improvement and is a communication, communication, communication. You have to create and implementing change is very difficult because people have used to doing certain things, certain way, habit. And you want to change that habit, all this until that person who is getting impacted doesn't see any benefit for him or her. He's not going to change or she's not going to change. So you have to create a way from what's for me. Yep. That's what you have to create. And once you and talk to these people, these roles, whatever, let's take example, planning process. You are trying to implement a good planning process. Now, people who will be impacted, the planner itself, the scheduler. The craftspeople who get impacted or who has implement those plans, you need to talk to them. Why this? Why this new process will bring what? How is it going to change your life for better? You know, mm-hmm. once they understand, uh, they will do. They will get along. If there's nothing for them, then maybe they do for a couple of weeks and they'll go back to old habits. So you have to really make sure these people understand there's something for them, there's something for you. It's kind of a win-win situation you have to create. You know? yeah. So it's not easy. Implementing change is tough. You have to create that environment where people are easy to understand what this change is necessary, how it's going to help them. Yeah. yeah. That's I, your
0: I really like that approach for mesh because I think oftentimes it's easy to come into an organization and just know that, you know, this is the right thing to do and everyone yep. should believe that and everyone should believe me. But oftentimes, it it is kind of like a sales process. It's a marketing process within your own internal organization. Really communicating the why we're doing this, that That's how, right. yeah. the reasons why, the why I'm so confident. And then to your point, which I actually really like, is really stepping into each individual's shoes and asking yourself and them what's in yeah. it for me. And yeah. once you can better put yourself in that person's shoes, it'll help clear up so much, make it so much more clear how to drive change within the organization. All right, this is a great follow-up question to that one. What would be your number one priority when starting to implement maintenance and reliability best practices? I know the answer depends, but I'm gonna force you to do something Ramesh. Let's take the, the standard facility. What do
1: you see as the number one priority? Communication, 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 best practices implementing, implementing best practices means you want to make improvement, improvements are best practices, and improvement means change. Yeah, and that's not going to happen easy. Again, you have to communicate, you have to set some, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is, we're going to establish planning process or we're going to put condition-based maintenance or we're going to do RCM or whatever. You have to talk to people who will get impacted with, with that change and how that change is going to help them in their job. You know, That's what you have to communicate with them, creating a weapon. You know, so it's a lot more communication. Communication, to me, safety and reliability I go hand in hand. Safety, you know, 20, 30 years ago was safety department's responsibility. Hmm. Now we are learned that's everyone's responsibility. Same way reliability is everyone's responsibility, means reducing number of failures. That's what reliability is. And reducing our cost, getting more effective. And that means everyone to get on. It's everyone's responsibility. So what I hear from that is like,
0: it's almost like before you even start implementing maintenance reliability best practices, it's all about like getting everyone's buy-in that we are going to embark on this journey to implement best practices in the world class. All right, next question came from one of our community members, Iridi. He asked, how do you calculate the useful life of an asset and determine its current cost? I, I think where this question's coming from is, you know, there's so many different pieces of equipment. You've got like rough guidelines that you could probably Google and find in your manufacturer's guide. But we oftentimes have, we could have thousands of assets and it's hard to put a, you know, a useful life to everything.
1: When you buy equipment or, or you buy a, when I put a requirement, specification to buy equipment, I need to tell them, Hey, I want this equipment to last me approximately twenty years? Yeah. Okay, if I'm buying a ready-made equipment, the bar should tell me, hey, i this life of this asset is ten years, forty, or something. When he designing, has certain thing in the mind. Hey, I have to design this equipment for fifteen to about twenty years. So he has to select component to last that long you should get some idea from the manufacturer or supplier what the life is. Or maybe you have given to them, it's going to last 20 years. But once it comes your place, then based on its condition, how you're using it, and what's the worn out rate is on that asset, you have to estimate, hey, it's going to last for another 10 years, maybe 10 years. If it's a lot of mechanical electrical component, you have to put some modification improvements, replace the major worn-out bearings and belts and those kind of things. And then after 20, 30 years, when equipment is really worn out or costing you a lot of maintenance, maybe you have to think about replacement, you know. So based on your condition, you have to come up based on how it's being used, what's war, wear out rate is all those kinds of things, how much going to last what's the useful life left of that okay? you can go to text IRS gives you some data you know they give you what's a depreciated life base right. like tooling is a five years for other equipment is a 15 years for buildings or infrastructure maybe 40 or 50 or something like that so you can get some help from them but those are just the number pulled out for depreciation value.
0: The last question that we've got for you, Ramesh, is where do you go to find benchmarking reports since KPIs can differ so much by industry? How do you or can you even set standard KPIs for maintenance processes irrespective of industry type? Maybe I'll provide a little bit more color to this one before we jump in. Everyone wants to basically like benchmark themselves against what average companies do, what world-class companies do, so that they can better understand and prioritize what they should focus on. So this idea of benchmarking KPIs, whether it's downtime, whether it's stockouts, whether it's overtime or whatnot, is actually very important. How do you, Ramesh, you know, where where, do you find benchmarking KPIs to prioritize what you should focus on,
1: first, second, and third? Okay, let me give you a general First thing, why we do benchmarking. We look our process that we need to make improvement. Okay. Now we look that process could be safety process or customer relation process or housekeeping process or could be planning process, you know, all different process. So then I started looking who are the best, look, started talking to people, looking literature. You know, if I want to take care of my. Th- Customer, you know, if I look at the data, Walt Disney is famous for customer, you know, relationship. i go there to do benchmark with them, how they are doing it, okay? Now, why? Because when you go to Walt Disney, those guys, there you are not a customer. You are a guest. They don't call you customer. And then you have a Disney, you can go there in school and learn about how they do it. Same thing, like a planning process or RCM process. You know, I when I was installing RCM process way back in the 80s and 90s, I talked to a few guys who were doing that time and got where they are doing it. I went to them, like in our local area, Tennessee Valley Authority TVA, was doing a RCM program in one of their plants. I took my team over there, we talked to them, we had a question set up, and we talked why they are doing RCM, what the benefit, who's involved, all those things we tried to learn. Now, that's the way you do one-to-one basis. You find what your process is, what you want to benchmark, and then you do things. Now, also, we did a major benchmarking process in one of the conference we were sitting, and we found partners, different industry, international paper, auto industry, we have a GM, we had a other chemical industry and few other people. And we we made a group of four or five people industry and we were visiting them every six months. I was a default guy organizing this. Every time we went there based on our four or five industry, who's our point of contact, we say, okay, Next time we are going, we're going to talk about planning process. What are the metrics we are using for planning process? Okay, so we sit down, talk about hey, how are you doing? What your metrics you're using? We learn from each other how they're doing a planning process. What kind of metrics? We went to Boeing Wichita, talk about condition based maintenance how they are doing, what kind of tools they are using it, what kind of metrics they have. And we share all that information together. So we learn together. So benchmarking is a great tool to learn, make improvement, but you have to be cautious. You know, you have to have really what you want to do, what you want want to go there while you're going there. It's not a, a tourist, you know, you don't want to just go there. You have to learn something and, to start communicating and you have to be open up to them and they have so you have to provide some information if you want some information from that so again this is a kpi is a different it depends on industry to industry there will be a little variation you can go to smrp website you can get some standard kpi i've been involved there in, in a, they are been, in fact they give you certain ranges but it's a depends upon what you're trying to do. Okay. So in my book, Meta the Best Practices, I have given some ranges, you know, for planning and scheduling, uh, what's a scheduling compliance, what's the you know plan works, you know, so there is a some numbers based on my experience, my trends industry experience. I put that, that in a table form. So you can use that number there. It's, you know that will be a good starting point or something there and start to see how you can make it better. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So check out uh, Ramesh's book and, and also join SMRP. And then also do a big shout out to our community as well, where you That's can right, yeah. you know, basically ask anyone within the community, like, hey, what are you doing? What are you seeing? What's industry bench? What are what are industry standards? And I'm sure everyone within our community might have some perspective. So definitely check those resources out. See, um, always
1: I've been, going to this industry conferences yeah. and have friends. I talk to them. When I run into, they call me, I call them. So it's a vice versa. We to yeah. share <laughs> information and we learn from there, you know, you know. All right,
0: all right. Well, Ramesh, thank you so much for taking the time to answer some of our community members' questions. Really love it. This is probably the fourth, fifth edition of this series. So. Really, really exciting. Really helpful to all of our listeners. If any of our listeners want to receive answers to any of their maintenance reliability questions, join our Slack community at upkeep.org and feel free to ask away. There, you can basically receive live answers from our fellow members or hear from Ramesh, the Sherpa himself, in our monthly roundup. Again, my name is Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. We'll talk to you again next time. Thank you again, Ramesh.
1: Thank you. Take care.